Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to The Political Party, this one featuring Chris Coughlin, founder of Renew, Britain's, I dare say, newest political party. There may well have been ones formed since, but certainly the the latest one that's had a bit of attention, Britain's centrist uh, pro-European party. I mean, I never thought I'd interview someone like this. This is someone starting out on a political journey from scratch, not just as a politician, as a founder of a political party. So it's just completely different... To any other interview we've ever done, because you're asking, you know, we talked to Chris about so many different things. You know, what's it like to actually set up a party? Logistics. How many staff have you got? You know, the, the nuts and bolts of it. Where do you get your money from? How much? So there's, and there's some fascinating answers to those questions. As well as that, obviously, Chris is an individual. I don't just want to ask him just about the party. He's an incredible life. And I won't give away some of the things that he's been through. But you get a real sense that he has um, real heart and soul. And that he really cares about politics and where... Now, obviously, as a former Labour member of staff, as someone who identifies as a centrist and a Blairite, a lot of what he says, you would expect it to appeal to me. So maybe I'm just finding this a little bit more exciting because it's an experiment on my point of the spectrum. But I genuinely think I would be as interested talking to someone who's in this from the left or the right because I was fascinated by UKIP. I'm fascinated by... I mean, just politics in general. Um, So it is just... A unique perspective, a completely unique perspective on politics, and I hope we get him back just to keep in touch with what happens. And I should say a huge thank you as well to everyone who's come to see me on tour. It's been the best tour I've ever done, uh, and the gigs in Glasgow and Edinburgh and Bristol have been amazing. The ones at Soho have been out of this world. Thank you so much for coming. Um, I've still got some dates left. On the 12th of April, I'm in Banbury in the Mill. Uh, On the 19th of April, Harpenden Public Halls. Uh, On the 2nd of May, Sale at the Waterside Arts Centre. On the 4th of May, Tiverton, the Comedy Hall in Loughborough in the East Midlands. Uh, On the 18th of May, the Victoria Room, uh, Canterbury Marlowe Theatre on the 23rd of May, Cheltenham on the 28th of May, Chippenham on the 2nd of June, Stockton on the 8th of June, and uh, loads of London dates. My next guests for the live political parties. This is very exciting. This month in April, it's Conservative MP Heidi Allen. Next month in May, founder of Momentum, John Landsman. And in June... Uh, former Secretary of State for International Development, Andrew Mitchell, three phenomenal guests. David Blunkett is booked for later this year. I'm talking to loads more people. I'm so excited about these live ones. And I've got some amazing guests booked for the weekly ones. More about that later. But for now, enjoy this unique perspective in politics with the founder of a brand new political party we knew, Chris Coughlin. Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Matt. Thanks for having me. Chris, these are exciting and uncharted waters that we find ourselves in in British politics. And in a way, you are you're at the heart of you're at the heart of that. You've set up your own political party. What made you? Because you stood as an independent in the general election. Yes. What journey have you gone on since 2017 to now to to taking that step to to setting up a party? Well, it was really. I mean, I stood as an independent to set up a party, um, and yeah, a year ago I was a counter-terrorism officer for the Foreign Office against ISIS, um, which I was incredibly proud to be involved in work saving lives. But I was coming home every night and just really disillusioned with the direction of the country, the fact that people you know, being, are working harder for longer for less. They haven't had a pay rise for 25 years, I think, in terms of wage rises. We're more divided than ever before. And politicians just seem to be making it worse. And I was incredibly frustrated with uh, moderate MPs in particular, in my view, not having the moral courage to split into a new party and take that risk. Um, and I felt it's not that hard to put your career on the line for what you believe in. Um, so I resigned from the Foreign Office and stood for Parliament, really just to make that point that you can go and do that. 
And you've got a great backstory. No one's going to argue <laughs> with the former counter-terror officer, but that, that, is, that is a classic. You know, that is, see, you look at what similar careers have done for, you know, Dan Jarvis has that kind of anything that's basically military or security or intelligence. is <laughs> cool. I mean, what, in terms of your personal politics, where have you yeah. been in the past? Um, I guess, interesting. I mean, I'm from a, I'm from a lifelong Tory family, um, and, yeah, I was a Conservative. I actually moved to the Labour Party in 2014 because I didn't want an EU referendum. Uh, I thought it was the wrong move for the party, uh, sorry, for the country. I think, obviously, it was dreadful timing in terms of moving to the Labour Party as a sort of a centrist. Um, and, um, yeah, and then eventually, obviously, post-referendum got disillusioned with the direction the Labour Party was taking in terms of moving to the hard left and obviously the Conservatives moving to the hard right as well. Um, so, yeah, I've shifted parties, but my politics have stayed the same. Well, I think a lot of people feel like that and that's why this this, this party renew is, is so fascinating. In terms of your ambitions for the party, do you have any measures, do you have any yardsticks, do you have milestones? Do you say we need to be here in a year's time or here in five years' time? Well, I think, um, I mean, I've always believed in sort of taking opportunities as they come, particularly with a startup like like cars. And I found that a organization, uh, an NGO previously, so I've actually had similar experience, that kind of thing. So at this stage in our life cycle, it's definitely there's an element of opportunity around it. But um, certainly when I started and certainly when I stood for parliament, um, there was an element of forlorn hope about it. As I said, I was, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, I was doing it to make a point, not because I thought it would succeed and because I thought it was important. But where we are now, uh, I think we could be in government in a year's time. And the and the reason for that is because moderate MPs can make it happen, not because of us. So, to to be in government in a year's time, do you mean you think there'll be an election in a year, if there's an election in a year's time? So what? Yes. So what I I believe, and sorry, and that's not obviously renew. Um, I, I believe we're at a, at a crucial point in in our, in our political history right now. Um, if moderate MPs, you know, we've got a hung parliament. If moderate MPs split into a new party. Um, they could cause an election combined with we've built up, you know, grassroots credibility with a new, you know, we're all people from outside of politics. If you brought that all together, that could be quite a powerful mix. And, you know, obviously the inspiration for that is what happened in France. And um, if you just consider how quickly Macron and Amash got together and, you know, that was an unelected, inexperienced finance minister. Yeah. How much more could 30 MPs do? I take the point, obviously, in a presidential system, it's it, the barriers for entry is slightly different to a, yes. a, a parliamentary one. Yes. I mean, if, let's say those moderates break off. Let's. I mean, if you've done the stats on it, do you, do you have a number of MPs that you would need that you, that you look at? Um, so I think, I mean, I think you need 10 Conservatives, basically, to cause an election. Yeah. Um, so, it, yeah, it's really down to... Conservatives, but I think I think it's more a question of uh, people starting to believe that it could work, um, and I think I think also it's critical that you build that outside of politics movement at the same time, which is of course what we're trying to do. So it's twin track, really. It's, it's yes. energising the public. It's a grassroots yeah. campaign. It's learning the lessons of momentum and yeah. perhaps a lot of what Obama did, and combining it with the parliamentary reality that you will need people to split from their current parties. Would you want them to use the Renew banner or would you be happy if they just said, we're forming a new moderate party, we don't want to get involved in Renew, we're going to call it something else? I really couldn't care. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, well, that's good. So, yeah, I mean, look, it's, it's uh, you know, obviously it'd be nice if they use Renew, but um, <laughs> um, the uh, I just want this to happen. Yeah. Um, I think it's vital. Um, I, again, you know, I don't have a strong opinion about who should be the leader of it. Um, you know, I've learned quite a lot about that in terms of this journey <laughs> as well uh, we just want it to happen if MPs want to go and form a new party and if it's consistent with what we're trying to do um, I imagine we'd fold into it within about four seconds so are you um, are you lobbying the MPs directly uh, so look we're talking to a lot of a lot of people um, we're not we're not at that point yet um, because we, we you know we, we want to establish ourselves first and and yeah and frankly it's really interesting. On the one hand, you know, we think it's critically important for moderate MPs to go and do this. On the other hand, we've got, um, you know, we're not that impressed with them in terms of the lack of moral courage they've shown that they haven't shown to go and do this anyway. I mean, are you are... saying that to them face to face or on the phone? 
<laughs> um, we, I mean, look, we're talking to a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, but, but, yeah, we're pretty blunt. I actually. just wonder how they take it. Do they say, look, it's difficult for me, you know? The yeah, the so, change. Yeah, exactly. So, so there's, you know, so you, so you have, um, I guess, people close to these MPs saying things like, uh, Exactly. You know, we're waiting for the Labour Party to, to change. It could all come back. And, um, you know, I might have agreed with them, you know, back with the first uh, coup attempt against Jeremy Corbyn, the sort of leadership um, challenge to Jeremy Corbyn. You yeah. know, perhaps back then there was a chance. Um, but, you know, my view, maybe it's a bit of a harsh one, was that once that leadership attempt failed and there'd been, I think, you know, 80% of Labour MPs doing a vote of no confidence in Jeremy Corbyn, yeah, the correct thing to have done would have been to resign from the party at that point. I mean, I, I can understand, as someone who used to work for Labour and was, was a member, I can understand the ties to it. I can understand how people would, given the last fortnight, think, yeah. well, actually, the opportunity may present itself and Labour as a brand is really the biggest centrist brand in, in British politics because it's on the cusp of winning the next election from a, from a, you know, arguably a more centrist position than where the Tories are, depending on where your politics lie. Um, uh, so I understand that, but I... I I wonder how many of them are, are teetering. Do you get a sense that a few are on the brink? Yeah, I mean, and look, I'm not close to them, so, um, you know, it's not like I'm having these secret conversations. But, yes, absolutely, um, and, you know, not just Labour. You know, people like Anna Subri have obviously shown a lot of courage yes. uh, recently, and, you know, also Chuck Raman has really stepped up over, over the last few months. Um, so, yeah, I think so. Um, and, you know, you're absolutely right in terms of, people's ties to Labour. You know, I've obviously got a lot of very close friends who are Labour moderates, and, and it's, it is really interesting hearing their ties to it and their emotional link to it, which wasn't a problem for me because I'd only been a member for, I can't remember, it was two or three years, so I didn't... Yeah, it was fairly easy for me to leave it. Yeah. Um, whereas for them, I, I can understand that. You know, they spent years out in the streets campaigning for Labour. So what, apart from the obvious things, like, you know, having to recruit candidates, trying to get MPs to... To, you know, leave their parties or whatever. Yeah. What are the challenges in setting up a brand new political party that aims to, at some point, form a government? Credibility is is is, is the first. Um, you know, building, yeah, you know, believing that that is possible. Um, creating the sort of minimum conditions for success. Um, so, yeah, as I said, when I first started out, it was really important to be doing it just to make a point. Um, then it shifted more into trying to be a sort of UKIP of the centre and now we're increasingly, given that we can see MPs are, are close to teetering, now we can actually start talking about, okay, maybe we could take it take it the whole way. Um, but it's it's really hard. Um, you know, it's been a hard personal journey for me in terms of, you know, how do you how do you manage the tensions between um, you know, different things that different people care about within within the party? How do you handle, say, the leadership issue? How do you um, yeah, a lot of people yeah, are very idealistic, which is fantastic, um, coming into it. And they expect, you know, this is, I guess it's a bit like Jeremy Corbyn, you know, a new kind of politics. And then they come into it and find that, um, yeah, me, for example, I'm not perfect. I'm very flawed. Um, and, you know, so, I, and, and if you, you know, you try and consult with as many people as possible and, and you know, bring everybody the table, but at some point you've got to make a decision. So managing that tension is, is, is very tough. It must be very... You used a phrase there, the UKIP of the left. In, in in what way do you mean that? Do you mean the sort of grassroots street-based stuff, or do you mean that you will be provocative and Sorry, controversial? UKIP of the, the centre. So the UKIP of the centre. So no, so what I mean by that is... So UKIP um, drew the Conservative Party to the right and and into scared them into offering the referendum. Um, so what I mean by that is is we... We could, in fact, have the, have a similar effect on the Labour Party in terms of forcing them to offer a second referendum, for example. Um, and because it wouldn't take, given where opinion polls are, you know, we even where we are now, if no politician ever joins us, and there's and there's an election, we can take enough votes off Labour to pre- prevent them winning a, a general election. And what would be the best way for them to neutralise us? Offer a, a final say. 
um, which obviously we'd be delighted. So have you done polling on that then? Have you, got, have you commissioned any research that suggests that you could have that difference in seats? No, I've done it for real. Um, the, <laughs> um, of course. Say, say You've got 2.2%, which actually yeah. is remarkable for an independent candidate. Well, thank you. Yeah, well, and it was in three weeks, so, it, it, you know, from start to finish. So the with no name recognition. So it was, uh, you know, and, and I can... I, I can construct a convincing case that Jane Ellison, the Conservative MP who was there, that she she probably would still be an MP today if I hadn't have stood, um, basically because I took... Firstly, my votes mainly came from Conservatives. I took 1,200 votes. She lost by 2,400. And you know, I really held her to account the fact that she voted for Article 50. Um, you know, I put that on a leaflet and sent it around 30,000 houses. So I'm fairly sure that if I hadn't have done that, enough people would have stayed with her that she would still be in, in power. And as well as your name, did you have anything on the ballot paper which was... No, just my name. OK, so you didn't even put on the ballot paper for a second referendum or something like Nothing that? Like that. Nothing it's like remarkable that. It's remarkable to get... I mean, it, it sounds like I'm being sarcastic, but to yeah. get 2.2% of <laughs> yeah. a parliamentary election as an independent in three weeks is, is a huge oh, achievement. Um, yeah, I mean, I look, I was really proud, with it, uh, proud of it and, you know, I beat the Greens and UKIP both in a constituency. Did you think you were going to win at any point? Yes, I did. No! <laughs> and it was terrible. <laughs> Every candidate goes exactly. through this. Yeah, totally, totally. It was It was really... Um, I wouldn't want to use the word pathetic, but... Um, it, it was, it's okay, too. Yeah, it's, yeah, you do. It's, it, they call it, yeah, they call it candidate, candiditis. They do, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, because you're, you're getting... You, yeah, exactly, you get into it, you get all the buzz, and then and then you sort of come down to a fairly, fairly rapid... And, that, and that's, that's actually a great point, because it was... Um, as you say, it was a fantastic result for an independent, but, but in terms of getting elected, it was a dreadful result. So, yeah, the question is then how do you, how, you know, how do you change that? And yeah. obviously, you need to build a national party to, to get, you need to overcome that credibility that there's actually a point to voting for you. So, to what extent are you a political party then and not a pressure group? Like, do you have the party structures there? Is there a national executive? How do you choose your leader? How is policy decided and things like that? So it's very top down at the moment. That's um, good. Uh, yeah, it's deliberate. Yeah, totally. Um, <laughs> um, so um, yeah, and the reason for that is you know we're a startup. Um, we're vulnerable. We don't want momentum joining and taking us over or UKIP just to shut us down. Um, so you know we have constitution. We have an we have an executive, um, and then you know we have various policy groups that consults all our, our candidates in terms of what and they feed in ideas in, in, into that. Um, but at the moment, it's a, it's a relatively small group of, of, of people that, that have the final say right now. Um, but we're going on a tour at the moment all around Britain doing a listening survey that we'll then use to inform what ultimately our policies will be. You refer to it as a startup, which I've never really heard anyone <laughs> in politics refer to a political party as before. It's a modern way, almost a tech way of looking at it. Do you think that politics needs that slight shift in mindset? Completely. I mean, I, I don't... Um, yeah, so I'm from a obviously counterterrorism, but prior to that, a business background and, and an entrepreneurial background, and you know, business is all about disruption, about as you say, tech and new companies coming in and, and pushing away the old, and I, and I, I literally don't understand why the same doesn't apply to to, to politics. Mm. So this idea that there's these two huge credible brands that you can't possibly break breaks down on the word credible because you know, I think I saw the other day net approval rating of politicians is minus 72%. Mm. Um, so there's got to be something there that can give at some point. Well, I completely agree. I should ask you as well, as having you here as a former you know, counter-terror uh, officer, as an expert, <laughs> this Salisbury business, yeah. on the balance of likelihood, did Russia carry out that attack? Yes. And in terms of... I'm so pleased you said that because <laughs> it seems as if though in the last few weeks certain people have, well, not necessarily said things that I've been surprised with, but there has been a certain amount of obfuscation and uh, chaos sown. It, it strikes me that that is the most logical conclusion. Um, in terms of Russia, how much of a threat are they, do you think, to not just our cyber security but to our security in general? So I think we've... I mean, obviously, so obviously I was working on ISIS, um, not Russia. Yeah. Um, but I think Russia is uh, a significant threat. The problem with Russia, actually, I think, is that it's so weak, ironically, mm. um, and people forget that it's um, yeah, it's got a very weak economy. Um, in fact, when I was working in business, I was a Russia specialist at, at one point, and 
you know, that sense of weakness, it's almost like a wounded tiger. Um, yeah, I think that's what makes it lash out and that sense of grievance. So it is trying to restore its great power, a sense of being a great power that's incredibly important to it. And, it, and, it, and the problem, I think, with Russia is that Putin's learned that he can take risks and get away with it because obviously we're all so worried about it and you know, at some point that that breaks. Obviously with security and foreign policy, this is, this is, your, this is your, your, your specialist subject really. Is this another area where you can, if you're, if you're targeting the left, if, you're, if you've got Labour MPs yeah. in your sights, it's not just the European referendum, but it's Corbyn's foreign policy, his instinct to look east, his mistrust of NATO, his sort of narrative that Western imperialism is the, the root cause of a lot of these problems. Is that something you would challenge? And in terms of Renew's foreign policy, you know, things like targeted airstrikes on ISIS would be supported? Or wouldn't they? So, firstly, like Renew hasn't established a position on the level of granular, de- granular detail. Um, what I would say, though, about that those sort of areas is, you know, obviously, I I was personally working uh, on you know on our policy on, on on Syria, and yeah, I have absolutely no doubt that in terms of those targeted airstrikes against ISIS that they were the right thing to do. Um, I have no doubt whatsoever that they saved lives and they were vital. And one of the things actually from a personal point of view that I found so disillusioning about um, Jeremy Corbyn was actually when, actually it was Seamus Milne, but during the whole bombing of, uh, of Aleppo and um, the, the Russians and the Syrian government were carpet bombing hospitals and um, and the Syrians were doing you know, chemical weapons attacks, and yeah, you know, that was in the public domain. There's no doubt that that's what they were doing. It was deliberate to spread terror. And Seamus Milne said words to the effect of, um, "Well, you know, why should we criticise the Russians when, yeah, you know, the British and Americans are doing that on Raqqa?" And you know, as somebody involved on in that policy, um, it was just such an outrageous insult to yeah you know, the men and women who serve and the yeah, the work they do to try and keep us safe, which has a direct effect on our state of our streets here today. So I think actually that was actually, to, for me personally, that was that was actually the breaking point in terms of me and the Labour Party. It's something that um, I know many people in the Labour Party are deeply frustrated with. There is, in the post-Iraq foreign policy landscape, and this is something that informs not just people's view of whether Britain should be engaged abroad, but but, but where and when, but also a, a mistrust of, not just the media, but a mistrust of the security services themselves that came out of the Iraq war. And obviously a lot of that intelligence was, some of it was French, oddly enough, given, given that Chirac was against it. Yeah. But nevertheless, there is, there is a, we are living in a period where people are quite mistrustful of institutions, institutions and agencies of government. Are, are people right to be cynical about the work that our security services do? Um, I mean, firstly, I wasn't in the security services. But the... Uh, I look, I think a degree of scepticism is healthy. Um, I think that uh, the security services um, they did come unstuck in Iraq over the intelligence over 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 Iraq. Um, they did get cl- too close to the government the day uh, that was in the Butler report, um, and yeah, they made a lot of reforms off the back of that. Um, what I what I can say is that that. In my view, they've really learned from that, and you know, I have a huge degree of confidence in, in, in the work they do. So, in terms of foreign policy, you, you would be distinct from the Labour Party, um, pro-European. I mean, you must get this all the time, but people must say, "Why don't you just join the Lib Dems?" Or, what's the difference between you and the Lib Dems? So, it's a great question. Um, the Thank you. <laughs> I, th- I think the key thing with the... Uh, a, a really important thing for me is that... Uh, really, you know, so I use the word centrist to, to describe us, but actually that's just shorthand so people straight away get sort of where we are, I guess, in the spectrum. But we're not really. Um, and the reason for that is that actually if you, look, if you look at what's happened in the last 10 years in the country, even the last 25 years, there's, there's fundamental problems with this country that haven't been fixed. Mm. Um, and the... Yeah, and the ba- and Corbyn actually has got a point in some of the problems that he talks about, just not in terms of the, the solution. And all three parties have been in government in that period, and they have all failed to solve these issues, um, you know, particularly around the response to the financial crisis, 
people haven't experienced an increase in, in, their, in their wages for, for years. And the basic capital model hasn't succeeded how people hoped prior to 2008. So we're different to the Lib Dems because we're not part of that. We, we, we believe we need a new economic model that leaves no one behind. So uh, Corbyn's new economic model is, is a form of socialism. It's, it's a national investment bank. It's nationalising uh, the rail industry, the energy industry, the water. Would Renew go as far as that? What is the new economic I model? I think, <laughs> I think that's all, all a wonderful red herring. <laughs> <laughs> um, so for me, I think it's, it's the technology revolution that's coming over the horizon. So, yeah, we, we're having... There's going to be fundamental changes in the way we work, um, there's artificial intelligence coming, there's um, changes in biotechnology, there's a fourth industrial revolution. All of that is actually, I believe, a huge opportunity for the UK. We're one of the world's three great centres of science and technology, the other two being California and Massachusetts. We, we have a perfect position to harness that and build a new economic model. And of course, um, people are worried about that. And the way you build that model is you have the right taxation response to it, you have the right regulatory response to it, you have the right training response. And yeah, personally, I think at some point, part of that is going to need to be a universal basic income. But that is how you you build a new model that um, leaves no one behind and, and takes the benefits of all that increase in the economy and make sure it's distributed equitably across society. Because that's been a Green Party policy for quite some time and it's, it's had a lot of traction on the Liberal left at the at UBI. Um, some people say if you give everyone, I think it was 72 quid a week, I think the Greens yeah. said it would be. If you give everyone 72 quid a week, then all you do is, in a way, just reinforce inequality. Is it not better to target money at those who need it most? So I said, so UBI, I think, is part of it. Um, I haven't actually seen a study that makes it uh, affordable. That is levels. a problem. So that is a problem. <laughs> so, but I think I'm talking over over over, over the long run. But it's policies yes. like that, i.e., okay. serious. Um, it's a radical idea. Yeah, we're talking about. Yeah, you need tinkering at the margins is not enough. Mm. Basically, is is, is 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 what I'm saying. So, think. Yeah, absolutely. You need targeted investment. You need to increase training. All this, but that's all been tried. Um, you know, George Osborne's Northern Powerhouse, for example. Um, you know, yes, I think you need to ramp that up a lot more. But you also need um, uh, yeah, a redistributionary response to that as well. Um, and specifically on, on UBI, you know, there are great um, arguments from the left for it, but there are also actually great arguments from the right yeah. as well. Um, you know, we are actually a capitalist country and um, capitalism means actually getting a future be- economic benefit from an asset. Um why shouldn't everybody in the country have a future economic benefit from the asset of the country as a whole? I suppose it, it, it resonates with the, the language you used earlier about you know a startup is that you are you are a great political adventure where you can carve out. A, I mean, you've got your core values, but you can carve out policies really in a way that other parties can't. They are sort of they're wedded to dogma and there are factions in those parties. You can enjoy the great creative adventure of politics from scratch. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, within reason. I mean, it, it is, it's a really tough thing to do. I've already learned that myself. Because, you know, everybody obviously has their favourite policies about what would I do if... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but when you come into the reality of that, is when, as I said, when you get, you know, when you've got 5,000, 500,000 people who all have got that, and it doesn't, you know, not everybody has the same view. So managing that tension is is, is tough. But, but yes, you're right, it's a, it's a wonderful position to, to, to be in as well. And is your, in terms of your favourite policy, is it yeah. a, a referendum on the deal or is it EU-based? No. So I I think that... Yeah, I'm, su- I'm surprised you said that. It's really important that it's not, actually. Um, I think a, a, a critical point about the party is, yes, we are anti-Brexit. Yes, we're democratically opposed to Brexit. But that's a small part of what the party is about. Um, because actually I think that uh, for me, I think the ideal referendum result would have been um, 48-52 to remain because actually a lot of people who voted for Brexit had, I think, a you know, very good reason for doing so. They'd, been, they'd have been ignored for years and this was their one election where their vote actually counted. They weren't in a in a safe seat where, um, which two-thirds of the country are, incidentally, where their MPs effectively chosen by a small group of uh, Tory party members in their 70s or, you know, <laughs> momentum members <laughs> in the Labour Party, and they actually had a voice for once. Um, so, you know, just being anti-Brexit is, is 
I think very short short sighted because it, it, it revealed real problems that need to be addressed. So aside from Brexit, what would your favourite flagship renew policy be? So for me, it's all about that tech revolution. As in yeah. that, that is the opportunity to to build a new economic the, the new economic model that leaves nobody behind. But I also think that um, yeah, if you look at the world right now, um, yeah, in many ways we've never been at greater risk than we've been since 1945. Um, we talk about Russia, ISIS, um, climate change. Yeah, my daughters are going to be as it stands poorer than our generation the first generation since the war that, that's facing it so these massive problems but also we've actually never been in a better place than right now hundreds of millions of people have been lifted out of poverty in recent years um this new technology means that um yeah we could be looking at the end of cancer the end of climate change the end of extreme poverty in our lifetimes no human being has ever been in that position um, so what we're really about is trying to realise that opportunity. But that's so important, isn't it? It's to recognise the, the, quite frankly, <laughs> at times miserable period in which we live in. Yeah. But people need optimism. And that one yeah. of the real lessons of that general election was that the Tories offered no hope whatsoever. And actually, yeah. Corbyn did offer people hope, and that's important. Yeah. Hugely. And, and yeah, I've... Yeah, I'll come to a while later, but, uh, yeah, I've always been a complete idealist. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I've always believed in the capacity of the individual to go out and cause change when institutions aren't um and you know you're not you know bad things happen to everybody in life and it's not um it's it's not the bad things that, that matter it's what you do about them well i totally agree and that is I, th I think that those kind of human values are sometimes lost in politics it becomes very tribal and it becomes very um uh, ferocious and actually yeah. just stopping and thinking <laughs> you know why are we all here and how do we improve the world is um Sometimes not even a secondary question in politics. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, this is lack of long-term vision. It was exactly. Just that, you know, the weekly news cycle is all about you know, the latest trade or failure to have the latest mm -hmm. trade trade deal. When no, you know, nobody's ask seems to be asking these sort of fundamental questions about you know, what does it mean to be British today? Who yes. are we? Where, you know, where are we going as a country? Well, I suppose you have to do both, don't you? You have to have that overarching Absolutely, narrative. Yeah. And you have to be able yeah. to yeah. communicate in the era in which you live. So master social media and whatever replaces yeah. all these apps and things. I mean, do you find, have you found so far, the glare of the media, the, the pressures of social media, hard hard learning grounds? I mean, yes and no. Uh, we've got... Uh, no, that's, that's not because of me. We've. I mean, we're really lucky. We've got... Uh, incredible team of uh, young people, um, mostly recent graduates who are sort of social media... Savvy. Savvy, <laughs> super keen, super passionate, super smart, and that's really helping us, um, and that's really helping us tap, it, tap into that, that sort of area. Um, I guess the media so far, it was actually really helpful standing for, for election because cause it's, it, it, it got me used to the sort of ferocity of... <laughs> of trolls yeah, I guess um, so you know you sort of you're coming from private life and uh, you know you're not really used to people sort of hurling random insults we'll get used to that mate yeah exactly <laughs> um, so you know even sort of friends of friends and you're like why, why are you doing this you know that I know this um, and uh, so that that you fairly quickly develop a, a, a fairly thick, thick skin I guess um, which, which, which is important Oh, it's vital. And I think it's just, it probably is quite handy in life. I mean, regardless of the cesspit that is social media in a modern sense, you're always going to have to deal with the public. You can knock on someone's door. You can ask any question. You're going to do hustings in town halls and, you know, gyms up and down the country. So that element has always been there, that, that combative element. I suppose it's social media brings with it its own specific pressures, which is the anonymity that people yeah. feel on there, the, the fact that they will say things that they would never say to your face. I mean, do you take any of it personally, or have you got a rhino hide now? <laughs> um, I think I think I did a bit at first, but it, it yeah. I mean, I think uh, yeah. I guess coming from a counterterrorism background, you're <laughs> pretty robust. Yeah, I guess. I mean, you know, it may it gives you a certain um, <laughs> I don't know, but but you know, you expect it. Everybody, yeah, we all know that. Um, yeah, politicians get a lot of abuse, um, yeah. and actually, uh, you know, before I joined the Foreign Office, I worked very briefly for Emily Thornberry, and the um, yeah, that was quite interesting actually. Just seeing how uh, you know, obviously, she's completely different politically to me, but 
seeing some of the abuse that she got yeah. um, and seeing how she handled that was yeah, actually quite inspiring. She's very strong. Very tough. Uh, yeah. And puts up with a lot as well. And not just from trolls, but from you know people calling her by her husband's surname and things like that. There's a lot of provocation yeah. she suffers that she yeah. takes with a, a great deal of grace. In terms of her foreign policy, she's probably in a slightly different position to you. So what, what, what was your relationship with her like? So, uh, I guess I'm the perfect centrist. I've had a... <laughs> yeah, I know Emily Thornwood pretty well. Um, I actually also incidentally know James Dudridge pretty well, who's obviously a hard Tory Brexiter. Yeah. <laughs> um, he, he was he's on the board of the charity that I founded. Um, yeah, and personally, I like them a lot. Uh, they're both people who are, who are more politically very different to me but it's interesting you know when you when you when you know these people face to face um yeah you actually realize they're, they're human beings with you know hopes and fears like like all of us and you know there's a there's a need for respect um and it is you can see it's grueling being a politician and you know both of them completely different to me politically but you know they're two people that i that i admire so have you spoken to them about renew at all I've been a little bit hesitant, to be honest. <laughs> I swear, I swear it'll be a little bit awkward. I'm sure, I'm sure I will at some point. Um, well, you'll have to. Well, you'll be yeah, I, mean, I was a bit some... awkward about telling James Dudridge that I'd joined the Labour Party. So, so, so did, we... he, did he take it okay? Yeah, he was great about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, he was like, well, I kind of suspected. Um, so, um, so yes, uh, but no doubt at some point I will. Well, you're standing against them, I'm sure, uh, <laughs> the not too distant future. In, in terms then of. What sort of operation you're dealing with at the moment? Like, how many staff work for Renew? So we've got um, close to twenty staff. That's a now. lot. So yeah, so it's it's really, yeah. I mean, full it's time. Uh, so some of them full time, some of them part time. But it's um, yeah, it, it's growing pretty rapidly. We've got twenty. We've got yeah. five thousand supporters. Uh, we've had over a thousand people apply to be parliamentary candidates. Um, so we've. Yeah, three hundred of them have now been vetted and are parliamentary candidates for us. So the yeah, the goal is to be ready to fight a snap election from July. So you've got well, I know you you got a bit of funding. Um, you you got twenty nine thousand quid. Um, from uh, oh, I had it written down here. Oh, Christopher <laughs> Richard Christopher Breen, the property developer. Yeah. Where else do you get your money from? So we were, we were seeded by three entrepreneurs. Um, so um, a restaurateur and a barrister as well. Gordon um, Ramsay and <laughs> no, Gina Nick, Miller. Nick Marshall. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, um, uh, but now it's mainly online donations at the moment. We're raising 10k a month in online donations. That's amazing. So, uh, yeah. So it's uh, that, that's nothing to do with me, by the way. That's all the uh, super young team I told you about. And is that being done that. in the same way that you know Obama did it with Blue State and stuff like that? Is it that sort of stuff? Um, it's all um, email campaigns, crowdfunding. That, that kind of thing, or just people just seeing us in the press and coming on and, and making making donations. So that's more, that, so is a, it's, it's, that is massive, really, isn't it? Yeah. So, like, do you have any idea what the average donation is or anything like that? Um, so, yeah, I don't off the top of my head, but they're generally pretty small, small Ooh. amounts of money, you know, sort of 20, 30 quid, something like that. Okay. So quite a decent, you know, that would be the annual membership perhaps of the Labour Party, about 30 quid. Yeah. Are, there, are, there, are people repeatedly donating month on month or is it different people every month or...? It varies. I mean, yeah, obviously we're new, so yeah, it's amazing. That's <laughs> it's, brilliant. It's so, but yes, absolutely. It's um, yeah, the, the the demand out there is 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 huge. Uh, people are so disillusioned by what's going on. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we're pretty. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax. And think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
pretty happy. So how do you vet candidates then? Like, do you have to meet them all face-to-face or is it done online? So it's done... Uh, so there's an online application form, um, then every candidate gets interviewed over the phone. Um, at the moment, they're all... Uh, you know, we're not placing them in, in constituencies yet. They're going to be, you know, go through further vetting. Uh, but <clears throat> in, in terms of where that ends up, um, you know, obviously there's a limit to how well we can vet them. Yeah, of course. Um, you know, we're doing our best. Uh, they're pretty, there are some fantastic candidates out there. Um, yeah, we've got a, a firefighter called Ben Jones in, in Bristol who's been the fire service for 14 years. Um, yeah, we've got entrepreneurs up in up in up in Newcastle. We've got um, and we deliberately went for. We felt we had to go national immediately. Yeah, you got to. Yeah, um, and get people from all backgrounds outside of politics, and that's that's basically what we've what we've done. So quite a, quite an inspiring group. So and have you checked everyone's like social media channels and all that? You've been back through their <laughs> tweets and things. <clears throat> so I haven't personally, um, no. but the but the team is doing that, doing is they're doing their best. But look, uh, it's. Yeah, I guarantee there will be some bad apples at some point. Of course. So, um, I can't wait for them. <laughs> they make my life much more exciting. Yeah, exactly. It's just exactly. how you handle them, I suppose. Yeah, That's what yeah exactly. Says, I mean, as, you know, uh, and I've always been upfront about that. I, you know, it's there will be and the important thing is that at the moment that's that's revealed you, you kick them out straight away so in terms of being a nationwide party in terms of those people that want to be parliamentary candidates what is the geographic spread of them are they are they mostly centred in London and the rest are scattered or are there particular cities or areas where you've got hot spots they're literally everywhere um, so wow you know and that's that's been completely yeah that's intentional um, so you know, we actually started off creasing in in the north of the country. Yeah. Um, particularly as I stood in Battersea. Um, yeah. yeah. The last thing we want to be doing, want to be, is a bunch of London Ramoners. Yes. Well, that's very true. Um, well, although maybe not the last thing. I mean, sorry, the, the, thing, sorry there was still just a couple of... just London Ramoners. Sorry, I say that as, as sorry. That's a fair point. As a self-critical, but yeah, as somebody could obviously easily characterise me as that. Of course. I mean, you've got you know the, we have local elections. Yeah. Um, in just a few weeks. Yeah. Do you have candidates standing in those? Yeah, so we're standing in in Wandsworth, um, where we live. We're putting up where I live. Uh, we're putting up uh, nine candidates in basically the whole of Battersea, where where I stood, and then two two key swing wards in uh, Tooting and Putney. It's not, um, yeah. We hope to get a reasonable result. It's not the key focus of the party because we think it's vital to establish ourselves nationally. Um, but it's more about. You know, building ourselves as an organisation, learning how to campaign, and you know, hopefully taking some votes off off both parties at the margin to to, to show that yeah, there's a price to be paid for not uh, representing the seventy five percent of one's worth constituents who are remain. There's all sorts of other problems that come with running political parties, whether policy and people, personnel, head office staff, and all stuff like that. Just something as simple as the logo must have gone through. A process, and it's a nice sort of blue circle, different shades of blue. It looks like a pie chart of some description, <laughs> but it's a, you know it's a nice. Was it? Did you deliberately go for blue over red to not look like a sort of <laughs> um, Labour ripoff? Labour ripoff. So the the uh, I mean that that logo actually was from my campaign. So it's uh, yeah, it's 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 it's, a, it's my initials like CC. Um, it's also centrism. <laughs> It, you're right. It looks a bit like a pie chart. Um, the, um, but you know, it, but it, everyone loves pies. Yeah, but it's also got exactly. But it's also got you know, it's got renew in there as well. You know, the the, the circular yes. element of it as well. So, yeah, we quite like it. But actually, we feel that yeah, the most important thing is is the values and what we're about, not not the logo or, or, or the slick slick branding. But these are all these are all these are the sort of admin side of politics, aren't they? These are the things like the website and things like that. Like, do you? It sounds like that's not a huge priority, and that's probably right that it's not um, that it's not the the main thing. But like, do you think actually we need to update the website regularly? Does a lot of effort go into keeping that current and keeping that live? Hugely. Uh, again, the team are doing all that, and they're awesome at it. So um, yeah, there's a constant focus on that, constantly trying to you know, and constantly trying to up our game as well. So yeah, there's been a notable noticeable improvement in my view in terms of how we've formed as a party over over the last couple of months um yeah as as we learn as an organization and that's that's natural and hopefully that will continue and are you trying to be because that you could be the center thing is uh, i would sort of return to it will you have to be in a way provocative will you have to ruffle a few feathers to get attention will you have to try and go viral with the odd stunt i mean are they things that you plan or think about 
Well, I, th- I think the... Are you going to I'm, throw fish into the Thames? Is what I'm asking. I'm not. I'm not going <laughs> to. Well, actually, it's, it's quite. It's quite interesting. James Torrance, one of the um, uh, one of the people running Renewed Day today, he he uh, he actually wrote an article in the Independent the other day saying exactly that we're not about throwing fish in, <laughs> fish in the Thames. Um, sure. So so the, so the uh, yeah, we're trying to address the, the serious issues facing the country. Uh, I mean, I think the provocative bit is the fact that you know. It's interesting how quickly you lose friends if you create a new political party and stand against everybody. Um, so, uh, and then you make new friends as well. And then you make new friends as well. So the, uh, you know, I think the many conservatives are very upset that I stood in in Battersea, and and now they're they're slightly less upset that we're standing again in Battersea because obviously we're hurting Labour now. Yeah. You know, for, for, for their position on Brexit, so um, that I think is, is a provocative bit, and the fact that we're going to expose moderate MPs as well um, if they don't if they don't split, um, yeah, we're going to stand against them, and um, that's going to impose a cost at the ballot box on them as well. But are you going to? I suppose standing against them is one thing, but like, are you going to? You know, would you do stunts outside their offices? Would you? Call them out on Twitter. Would you use hashtags to put pressure on them? You know, is it how much? Because you keep very good at turning up the heat on people. Yeah. Obviously, they went too far a lot of the time, but there is that sort of street-based politics that momentum have sort of got as well, where they're a bit pushy and they'll, you know, they'll, they'll go to the edge. Is that something that you're interested in, or is that not? No, I think we'll do a lot of stunts, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, I'm sure the team are much better than me at that kind of thing. So, <laughs> um, um, but yeah, I, yeah, I imagine there's going to be a lot of that kind of thing coming. How do you manage as well the relationship between the three of you? Because it was it was you, James Clark, and James Torrance and Sandra Cadore as well. Yeah. Well, that's it. And yeah. then and then it's now yeah. Sandra Cadore yeah. uh, uh, and James Clark and John Tor- James Torrance as well. What is the division of labour between the four of you? So the um, so it's, it's an interesting one. So basically, so Sandra is the head of communications. Um, so she's Alistair Campbell. She's, yeah, she's yeah she's Alistair. <laughs> um, <laughs> she'll love that. Um, the uh, James Torrance sets our strategy, and okay, so he's Alistair Campbell as well. He's Alistair Campbell as well. James Clark is head of outreach, so he basically goes out and meets all, all the candidates. So I guess he's John Prescott. He's Prescott. Yeah, he's yeah, going exactly. out whacking people. Yeah, exactly. They probably will. Um, but the uh, yeah, and I'm I'm the founder. So um, do you use the word leader or not? No. Is so that and will that, will that change at some point? So that's, I think that I personally that's really important that there is no leader. Um, so, you know, I'm the founder of the party. I'm not the leader. Um, in fact, they're running it day to day, not me. Um, I, have a, I have a day job. Um, the, and the, import, the reason for that is, is, again, coming back to this credibility issue back at, back at the beginning. You know, we, there's huge expectation and credibility issues around anybody who, who, who is a leader. And we also want to leave it open so that, um, as I said, you know, if MPs split or something, you know, we're open to anybody leading us who's got what it takes to win and renew Britain. So you would want a leader at some point? Yeah, at some point, yeah. there, there will, uh, no doubt. Um, but, you know, until somebody gets elected, that's that's a, that's a non-issue. Because founder's quite nice. You're sort of like L. Ron Hubbard, you know. You're the kind of <laughs> chief scientist, chief wizard of the sort of chief science. Not that, I'm not saying that you, re- in any other w- regard, reflect Scientology, but <laughs> founder's quite a cool title to have rather than leader, I suppose. Well, yeah, I worked on it. So the, the uh, I mean, I guess that's more just the fact, uh, yeah, I suppose the person who started it, but it's, uh, you know, I guess, again, coming back to startups, you know, a lot of people... Found companies are not necessarily the long-term leaders of them. Well, it's a good it's, it's a good area, I think, probably to take language and inspiration from, as well as being you know respectful of the realities of politics, yeah. because it does just slightly change the way that people would think about you a bit, and I think in, in a sort of good way. Um, there's a strap line on your website which which really struck me as "People from outside politics to renew Britain's hope." Is there not a danger? And I totally get it. Yeah. Is there not a danger that that actually is quite an anti-politics message, which then reinforces negative ideas about what politics is? So I think, I mean, yes and no. So yeah, there's such disillusionment with with politicians, um, and I think uh, yeah, it, it's really important to address that. And so yeah, and I I guess coming from yeah, I'm not a politician myself, obviously, um, but you I, sort of are now, are you? I guess I maybe I yeah, maybe. <laughs> he's studying, he's I'm not, I'm not, Parliament. Yeah, I'm not like Farage. He says he's not a politician, but yeah. he was a politician for thirty years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, so um, but uh, 
I mean, you? I know what you mean by that, but yeah. I suppose once you stand for Parliament, you're Maybe. a position of sorts, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, I guess, I guess, I guess. Um, yeah, but I, yeah, I, work, I work in business during the day, so... Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's... I think the point of that is to show that we're bringing new people yeah. in, people who've, who, who aren't part of the people who caused this problem in the, in, in, in the first place. And I think that's, that's, that's quite inspiring. And, you know, again, if you just look at the the people we've got in politics today. And again, you know, some of them are great. Yeah. Um, but a lot of them, you know, they've been spads all their life um, before they went, they, they, yeah, they've never worked outside of politics. And that, uh, you know, I feel is lacking in, in, in a lot of experience that, and, and people, are, people are upset about that. People are frustrated. frustrated. Oh, they are. And they're, they're, I think they're deeply frustrated at the culture that that brings with it. It's not that they wouldn't judge people on their individual merits because mm-hmm. some expats are very good politicians and great <laughs> people, but there is definitely a perception that there is a, a, a sort of political machine and that people look and sound and behave in a particular way and that I think Farage absolutely took a grenade to that. Corbyn has. I mean, you could be the centre is, is an important way to think of it, but also you, there must be so much you can learn from momentum. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the... You, you know, Momentum has been incredibly successful with their social media campaigns and how they, they they've tapped into to all of that. And yeah, and, and also the you know the I guess yeah I, I personally think the, the false, but the what people see is the authenticity of, of Jeremy Corbyn. Um, you know they they want to find something fresh. Um, you know obviously I don't think Corbyn's fresh myself. Um, but you know there is that yearning for for some for, for change, um, which he's he's successfully tapped into, um, and you know, so so are we. You used the example of Macron earlier, and obviously since Macron's election, centrists around the globe really have been wondering yeah. how they can recreate that. You know, obviously yeah. with with America, it's difficult because Hillary did get more votes, but you know the system yeah. works a particular way, and, and Trump knew how to win it. Um, it feels as though actually centrism is out of fashion, even though you know Macron gives us hope. Like you say, I think most people, given the choice, would be perhaps around the centre, but the, the, the system doesn't recognise that at the moment. Um, and you have the support of, of someone from On Marche, of Emily uh, de Montchalin, I yep. hope if I yep, pronounced that correctly. Great. Um, how old do you know her and is she advising you? <laughs> so, um, I was, I was, I, I was, so Emily's a very close friend of mine. Um, we, uh, I was privileged enough to be at Harvard Kennedy School three years ago. Um, where I did a master in public policy, and she was wow. one, of my, one of my classmates. Um, so we, yeah, we had long discussions about Europe and politics and the world, and, and I guess, um, and that's yeah, I think again, where part of my ide- idealism comes from. Yeah, the, the, the heart, you know, the Kennedy School really sort of builds into this, the builds into this idea that you can go out and, and change the world, and um, yeah, it is possible to create change and you know she's been an inspiration to me and just in terms of what she's done you know so quickly since since graduating from there um and you know you know obviously she's a french politician now she's a, the whip of the french parliament um so she's not you know formally advising us but she's you know she's a very close friend of mine and have you met macron i haven't met macron You've got to set that up. You've got to get, you've got to go out there, and get a picture yeah. with it. I've met a website. lot of people from on Marsh, obviously. Yeah, through, through Emily, but yeah, no, she's not a formal advisor. You've got to go. You've got to. So, oh, this is the thing as well. Are you going to have a party conference this year? Uh, we haven't thought about that yet, to be honest. Uh, you know, I'm sure. You know, we've had we've had events. Um, you know. To be honest, it, it is so overwhelming the the work involved with setting up a, a party. There's an element of you know living day by day, of course, to it. But yeah, I'm sure you know that's something we'll think about and probably do. Because we had um, Laura Round on uh, a couple of weeks ago from Bright Blue, and she was involved in the the Tory Glastonbury, the festival ideas, or whatever it's yeah. called. And actually, that's that feels like the sort of thing you know uh, that Renew might do, like a kind of uh, an informal novel way of of doing it i might be wrong but it feels like maybe that would be yeah i mean yeah that kind of thing um the uh yeah i mean the team are looking at loads of things at at the moment trying to think of creative ways to to engage with people free booze free booze yeah you give away free (laughs) free alcohol (laughs) exactly exactly they'll be swarming swarming yeah millions exactly exactly i mean there's a veteran of labor party and i've been to a few tory and lib dems as well free booze is what gets people interesting (laughs) i wonder i mean could you put on fringe events at other party conferences or is that too much of a cuckoo in the nest 
No, I think we could. Absolutely. I mean, quite whether we'd get away with it, but yeah, there's no reason why not. And the, uh, yeah, I, th- I think the, the big thing about us is that there are many, there are so many politicians, I think, in, in, the, in, the, in the Conservative Party and the Labour Party who agree with us more than they agree with their own leadership um, and really trying to ram that point home. Um, and, you know, it, almost like embarrassing them about that, um, it, I think is, is an important thing to do. And that's, you know, by being at the conferences, maybe that's one way you could do that. Yeah, you could get it sponsored by, you know, a drinks company. <laughs> exactly. I don't want to keep bringing it back to alcohol. Exactly. Where are you going with this? Exactly. Or something. You know, you could have a debate on the future of centrism. I mean, you could have that at, you could usually have that at the Lib Dems, the Tories, and yeah. I don't know when the deadline is for the... Pro- I mean, I don't know why I'm still <laughs> yeah. trying to sell... Thanks, thanks for organising. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that would be an interesting way, perhaps, to, to start a debate and get people on a panel in a way that maybe having your own wouldn't be, or I don't know. Yeah, I think Yeah, I think if we definitely, you know, organising some... I mean, you know, so we thought about organising debates and that kind of thing. Yeah, you know, obviously, at the, at the start, people sort of shy away from us because, you know, we're a bit of a threat. Yes, to people. But now, you know, that we've got a bit more credibility, maybe they'll come. We mentioned earlier that you were an anti-terror officer for the Foreign Office. Was that always your ambition? So that's a great question. The I always wanted to be a soldier. Um, Where did that come from? So uh, I, in fact, I am. I'm a reserve army officer as well. Um, the from my grandfather, I think. So he he he, who was an inspiring person to me, um, particularly. Yeah, I lost my mother when I was born, so I was particularly close, I think, to my grandfather as a, as a result. And, you know, he fought in the war, like, all of that generation. Yeah. Um, so I really wanted to go out and be a soldier. Um, and I was very ambitious. And when I was 18, tried to join the reservist SAS. My God, and, hard <laughs> as nails. Well, no wonder so, people are scared of you. It's not the politics. <laughs> so, uh, well, yeah, the uh, but, yeah, didn't get very far at all. Um injured myself quite badly oh dear and so uh, I was medically discharged from the army and uh, went into business basically so if things had worked out I would have been a soldier basically and then um, but then you know I spent eight years trying to get my fitness back um, and trying time and time again and then actually when I was 28 I finally sort of managed to get running again rejoin the army reserves and um as a, as a private soldier and when I passed out of training I, I got the uh, best recruit award which for me wow. was the proudest thing I've ever done it's massive Quite, yeah and uh, yeah and a you know, reserves officer today but then you know the icing on the cake for me was to have the opportunity to serve as a counter-terrorism officer for the foreign office it's remarkable you know, really, there's so many studies done or certainly anecdotal about the people that go into politics what drives people people who get to the top especially often having lost a parent or lost a close family member or growing up in a single-parent family. It's remarkable how often, <laughs> you know, and, and perhaps people don't realise that yeah. that's what's what's yeah. driving them, but it, that, you know, so many people, Tony Blair has that, I think Bill Clinton has it, George W. Bush has it, it you know, it, it, it runs through so many I think, successful political careers. <laughs> well, the, I mean, I think, you know, you have certain formative experiences in your life, and that for me obviously was very formative, but the... Yeah, and that really hit home to me when, actually, a year after I did the SAS thing, um, I was in Mozambique, and uh, I met a child who, four years younger than me, fourteen-year-old, who um, he lost his mother in the war, in the civil war there, and he he was he had uncontrollable anger as, as a result of that, and so he basically the locals took him to a witch doctor and they and they tortured him to get the evil spirits out of his head. And I, yeah, I saw many other, you know, it was my first experience of extreme poverty. Yeah, I saw many other pretty grim things as well. Um, But that really stayed with me. And, yeah, it was only many years later I realised that because of, it was because of my connection Mm. to that. You know, I recognised his anger in, in myself. And actually that's what then led me to, yeah, after the whole army, Thing. I, you know, I went and tried to do my best in a career in business, but I kept on being haunted by that experience and sort of my sort of broken dreams, I guess, in terms of being a soldier. And yeah, one day I decided to go and do something about it. So I set up a NGO in in Uganda. Actually, meanwhile, being a fund manager in London at the same time, training my entrepreneurs over the phone in, in business skills. And 
today an organization called grow movement that's improved the lives of fifty thousand people and it was really i wouldn't have done that if i hadn't hadn't lost my mother and had the connection to to to, to that to that, that kid tiago because that is so there is a misconception i think that people around the center are wishy-washy comfortable people who've never had to struggle you know there's almost people get lumped in with tories to some extent around the center They've, there's no or there is little appreciation of the fire in the belly that actually that that point on the compass is just as legitimate as any other point because it doesn't because it falls between the two major parties at the moment doesn't mean that it's not a legitimate yeah. point but also that there are passionate people in there who understand the burning injustices of the world they've experienced them themselves I mean, I react against a lot of the emotional side of politics, but do you think actually that is important and that Renew will have to kind of show yeah, I, a bit of emotion, that you might have to? Yeah, look, I think it's hugely important. Um, the, you know, people are moved by emotion and actually you can, yeah, you can be cynical about that or you can be, I actually think it's a good thing because it means, you know, when people, people are assessing you, they don't, they don't assess you on your... On your intelligence, they assess you on their emotions. On they assess you on your values, what you mm. stand for, and you're not what you say, you are what you do. Um, and yeah, I've really tried to go and go out and, and and do that in terms of what, what I've done in, in my life, certainly. And um, and yeah, and I think all of this centrism stuff again, you know, is everything I learned at the Kennedy School. You know, there's so seems logical to me that you know a government dedicated to the pursuit of knowledge to build opportunity for all people is the right way to, to go and um, you know Kennedy said almost 60 years ago that we have the power to end all forms of human poverty and you know I totally believe that and that's why I found a renew to dedicate our country to that at home and around the world Chris it has flown by it's been a pl- I hope we can keep in touch and maybe have you on again in a year or two years and see how the party is doing. And obviously, we, we will know how the party is doing. We'll be following it. <laughs> yeah. But just to get an update on and uh, on doing it, because it's it's really exciting to have a new party in British politics. Obviously, there are quite a few knocking around. Sure. But it feels like Renew is in a position perhaps where there's an opportunity for you in a way that there aren't for other political parties. So good luck with it all. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate so, it. Thank you so much for coming in. And maybe come back, maybe we do like every year we'll have a check on them. Um, <laughs> exactly. How we're renewing stuff. <laughs> but, well, yeah, yeah. but there's, there's, yeah. it's just such an exciting time for you. Thank you for yeah, coming. Well, we're hugely sure. excited as well. And, you know, very excited about where we can go. Thank you for coming on. Thanks. So Cheers. Much, Matt. Appreciate it. That was Chris. Will he succeed? Will the party succeed? Will we hear more of them? Who knows what's going to happen? I could easily see them not getting anywhere because the British political landscape, of course, is crazy. But then you never know. You think about what UKIP did. You think about what Momentum have done. And I know that's different. You look at what Macron's done. Trump was an outsider. You know, maybe, maybe that that what is a relatively small boat at the moment catches a, a headwind and, and can travel. I'm not going to keep using that metaphor. I was going to say turn into a great big galleon, but it makes them sound like pirates, and I'm not sure that's the the right thing. But you get that real sense from Chris. You know, he's the experiences he had have really formed his politics. That sense of injustice at the world. He's pro-European. He's slap bang in the middle. You know, in in if he was in the Tory party or in the Labour party, you'd be saying, well, this guy is absolutely where the country sort of needs to be. This guy's position on the compass. Is is electorally, you know, desirable, but at the moment, perhaps it's not. So then, would he be better off in a party? Who knows? But I was so delighted he came in, a lovely bloke. And in politics, it, it's always good. I mean, the vast majority of politicians are, are well-meaning. I, I truly believe that. This is somebody who really, really genuinely cares, and is going out of his way to really do something about it. And for that, if nothing else. We should give him absolute, total maximum respect because it is hard to go into politics. It's hard to stand for Parliament. It's certainly hard to do it from outside and try and set up your own party. So just, we should all, you know, let's follow them and see how they do. You know, it'd be a running theme with the podcast is how much have we heard from Renew this week or how much have we heard? Because it is, we've never really had this before. So it could be really... I suppose we have, you know, the Labour Party's only 100 or so years old in it, but you get my point. Um, do email the show, politicalpartypodcast at gmail.com. I've been really part of 
being exceptionally busy and slightly ill. Um, I say slightly ill. I, I, a couple of weeks ago, I couldn't breathe, but that's you know that's a personal matter. I'm not a politician. I'm not going to flog you with my backstory. Um, but I realise I have neglected the emails, and I get a lot, and I, I wanted to read some out. Tim Bates says, "Evening, evening, Tim." Uh, loving the choice to go weekly, says thank you. Couple of responses. I'm usually driving up or down the A453 in and out of knots, as you're describing more glamorous places, people listen. It's not all glamour out there. Also, I reckon anything up to two hours is cool. More than that, should be edited out and kept as bonus for people on some sort of mailing list. That's if you can find a wizard that can do such a thing. Nice one. That's from Tim Bates. Well... Anyone who's on the A453 is a good friend of mine. Anyone who's in or around Knots is a good friend of mine. Maybe we do like a two-hour special and then release an exclusive or a main... I don't know. I, just, I think I just put out the whole thing. Um, Lindsay says, hi, Matt. Listen to the podcast while wandering through Edinburgh. Yes! I was there the other day. It's one of the most beautiful cities in the world. Loving the new format. Hearing so many different political voices. It's fascinating. I come to see your podcast show at the Fringe every year. I was wondering if there's any possibility you'll do more than one interview based. I think I'm doing two this year, Lindsay. So that was a very topical question. But thank you. And Oh, you're very lucky to live in Edinburgh. And there's one here from James. He says, hi, Matt. Thank you so much for doing this podcast. Thank you, mate. Thank you for listening to them. Thank you all for emailing. Um, he says... I absolutely love them, and as you say, the time flies by. In answer to your question, I could definitely do another hour, especially if your guest is good. But that goes without saying, mate. I mean, really, you know, I'm not going to say, welcome to the political party. I'm afraid to announce that this week's guest is pretty shit. Um, And in case you're wondering, he says, I listen to these as I cycle past rice fields on my way to work in Japan. He's in Japan listening to this. You legend. He says, I've made my journey into work sound far more picturesque than it really is. Mate, Rice Fields in Japan sounds... I picture in a sort of Hollywood, almost like the opening Jerry Bruckheimer ident thing, like fields of wheat, Theresa May. <laughs> oh, I've ruined it for you now, mate. But thank you for your emails. Do keep emailing politicalpartypodcast at gmail.com. Let me know where you listen. I don't know whether that's just a silly thing to ask, but it is quite cool to imagine people in Edinburgh and Japan and... Nottingham, um, but also um, just any thoughts, any reflections on the interview? Do you think Renew will get... Let's continue the political discussion. Would you vote for Renew? Are they mad to try and do this? Should they just join another political party? Should they just try and energise? Should they be trying to be a momentum to the Lib Dems? Or indeed to the Tories? Um, would you vote for them? Would you want to stand for them? Um, is the whole thing a load of nonsense? Whatever your perspective on it, drop me a line and then we can keep the discussion going a bit. Politicalpartypodcast at gmail.com, as always, if you could. And I'm going to ask every week. So the only way to do this is to do it and shut me up is uh, please leave a review on iTunes and um, share this as widely as you can on your social media channels and everywhere else. Leave a review, subscribe, tell your friends about it. Thank you for downloading. I'll be back next week with another wonderful guest. For now, I've been Matt Ford on The Political Party, which is, as ever, produced by Daisy Knight. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.